So it looks like we're gonna be hanging out inside for at least a little while longer. And with the colder months coming up fast, there's never been a more perfect time to stock up on all your comfy clothes. Lucky for you, you listen to the Choose Your Struggle podcast and I have a sweet deal for you today. Check out my sponsor, Pair of Thieves. They've got everything you need, from shorts to lounge pants to underwear and bras. They even have a line of Disney socks with all your favorite characters on it. But here's the best part. If you use the link in the show notes or on my podcast website and the discount code RakutenThieves, don't worry, that's in the show notes too, you'll get 20% off every full price item in your shopping cart. So stock up on all your comfy clothes today and help out the podcast in the process. I'm going to just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Hey, y'all. There is some great things happening as we prepare for season two. Perfect example. Everybody on Patreon is getting a sneak peek at the new theme song this week. The first interviews for next season are being recorded in the next week. It is an awesome time for the podcast. But we still don't have new episodes. That's not going to be for another couple weeks. So in the meantime, enjoy this awesome special episode. It's me chatting with Luke West of the Imperfect Pod. We had a really good conversation. We didn't agree on everything, but we came at this from a similar point of view. And because of it, you know, we really got deep and we really touched on some things that people need to hear. So enjoy this special episode and I will talk to y'all next week. Are you ready to take your hemp experience to a whole new level? Because if so, I want to tell you about my sponsor, Mountain Made. Their puff line of smokable flour is unreal. They meticulously source each strain from select partner farms to ensure only the highest quality product in the marketplace. When it comes to the entourage effect, nothing tops strain-specific flour. It delivers the full range of all the amazing effects of CBD. I can tell you because I use it myself. With 0.7 grams of premium full flour inside of each pre-roll, you'll be ready to maximize your personal summit whenever you smoke. So check out Mountain Made today and grab a puff. They're federally compliant with less than 0.3% THC, which means they ship nationwide. All right, I'm going to grab a puff and let's get back to the episode. Emotions are designed, they're designed to inform us, not to direct us. There is no number you're ever going to get to that is going to heal whatever is going on inside of you. I think defining what it means to be a man is not possible. And, and when I say I don't think it's possible, I think I mean on a mass scale of agreement throughout societies. Oftentimes, anger is simply sadness masked because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death. You are now embarking on the imperfect experience. 
Hello, Imperfect listeners. It's your host, Luke West, back with another episode where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, my guest is Jay Schiffman, and we talk about substance abuse versus misuse, mental health and male communities, why it's hard for men to open up, why we need to have conversations about suicide, and what society can do to make it easier for men to have these conversations. Jay is a mental health and substance misuse and recovery speaker, coach, and advocate, and his goal is to normalize conversations around these topics to make people's lives clearer. Jay has went through his own struggles, including medication misuse, suicide attempts, overdoses, and more. He now runs his podcast, Choose Your Struggle, to help normalize these conversations about mental health, and you can find these on any streaming platform. As it's currently November and a month about mental, men's mental health, I thought this would be an important episode to share with you during this time. Also, you can find a link to my friend Gautham's Movember fundraiser in the description of this episode. You can also check out my episode with Gautham, um, which was the first podcast episode I ever produced and released. So go back if you want to check that out. But let's get into this week's episode now. Okay, imperfect listeners, I am here with Jay Schiffman here today. Uh, funny story, he knows Amanda Webster from a few episodes back. Uh, the podcasting world is small, so uh, that is fantastic. We just had a little chuckle about that. Um, but Jay, I'm excited for you to be here. Yeah, Luke, thanks so much for having me, man. This is uh, this is wonderful. And and Amanda, how are you? Uh, no, it's it's I. I don't pass up an opportunity to chat about issues of mental health, substance misuse, because, you know, as your listeners will hear soon, I live these issues. And, um, you know, I truly believe that we need all hands on deck that, that uh, the more of us that are talking about normalization of, of discussing these issues at the, the very least, uh, the more that we can, we can do about actually getting the help for, for people who, who you know need that help and deserve the help. Yeah. Well, Jay, that's a that's a fantastic intro. And the first question I always ask my guests is, who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to have over for dinner and what would you cook for them? Is it the same person that you were talking to me about before the podcast or is it someone completely different? <laughs> oh, man. No, I, that's funny. Uh, we were, for your listeners, we were talking about Stephen Page of the Bare Naked Ladies, who's on my list of uh, people I really want to interview. That list is getting pretty long now. Um, if any of you listeners happen to know Kesha, uh, please send her my way. That would be Wonderful. Now, I, I would say that uh, the answer to that is, is twofold. Number one, um, I in the last year lost both of my grandfathers. And so I think that, you know, if if given the opportunity to sit down with the two of them again, obviously, obviously, that would be number one. Um, you know, both both are, are, are missed and, and had a big impact on my life. But but sort of reaching for the stars a little bit. Uh, I believe that one of the most influential people in my life who has no idea because he's been dead for a long time is uh, George Harrison of the Beatles. I, I am just such a big fan of his music, but more than that, George uh, was sort of open about his own mental health struggles and very famously um, that's why the Beatles stopped touring because George Harrison basically said to him, you got two choices, keep me in the band and, and, and stop touring or find a new you know, guitar player. So, um, you know, I, I, I really admire him as a person and his music and would love to would love to sit down and chat with George. He probably would have no interest, but but I would love to sit down and chat with him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting the, the way that 
if you approach a conversation, and this is something Amanda and I were talking about too, is if you approach the situation or conversation the right way, you can sit down with anyone. It just matters about what your intent is. Because if you're like, hey, George, I want to sit down with you because you're cool, um, probably wouldn't work. But if you're like, I'm fascinated by your mental health journey, it's probably a little bit more more chance there that you might uh, get get that get that dinner. So it's funny because, uh, yes, you're 100% right. And, and as my friends will tell you, you know, I'm one of those people that I'll tell you a story and you'll be like, there's no way that's true. I just, I, I'm really lucky. I've been really lucky in my life, you know, with everything uh, that I'm about to talk about, you know, notwithstanding. But I've had the chance to really get to know some truly incredible people. Um, I'm not going to like name drop or anything, but you're, you're 100% right. A lot of it is just approaching people as people and not, you know, causing them to run the other way when you fanboy, fangirl, whatever the case is. So, um, yeah, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And obviously getting into a little bit more about your story, uh, you run a podcast called Choose Your Struggle. Uh, I'm really curious, what does Choose Your Struggle mean in the story of your life? That's a great question. I um, Choose Your Struggle is is my brand uh, overall. So it's the name of my business. It's the name of my podcast. It's kind of my personal hashtag and, and, and my own you know mantra. Um, essentially, what Choose Your Struggle means is all too often we are following these paths forward that whether we are aware of it or not, we haven't chosen. Right, circumstances chosen for us. Um, you know, for a lot of people, you know, mommy or daddy said, you're going to be a doctor. And so now you're a doctor and you've never really liked being a doctor, but you're a doctor. Uh, for your listeners, by the way, I'm, I'm Jewish and some stereotypes are true. You know, Jewish mother, a lot of us do things because our mother decides us it's what we're going to do before birth. Um, but, but these things will never bring us happiness. Like that's, I, I hate to sort of lay out there like that. But the fact is a lot of people get to the end of their lives and they're like, wow, that just, you know, I did a lot of things that did not bring me joy. And quite frankly, some things we have to do, they don't bring us joy. You know, I run my own business. I hate editing my podcast. I hate doing the books on my business. It's not fun, but I like what comes of it. Right. So it's mm -hmm. worth it to me. But that being said, if you are sort of one of those people that's, you know, unfortunately working for the weekend, right? Or if you are slaving so that you can uh, afford the best of, of life for your family, but you never see your family, like, is that truly what is going to bring you the most joy? Probably not. So choose your struggle means, look, we're all going to struggle. You accept that as part of life. Make sure you are at least in charge of what you can be in charge of. And yeah. th that comes from me. Um, I'm, I'm now going on 11 years in recovery from a pretty serious issue with substance misuse uh, that saw me in, in a year span. I'm, I'm going to lay this out here, right? From the summer of 2009 to the spring of 2010, saw me attempt suicide twice, overdose once, uh, spent a night in the hospital going through overdose, spend the next three weeks in a lockdown unit, uh, the kind of place where, you know, you're walking around without a belt on or sho shoelaces. And then spend three months in a long-term care facility before finally going through another three-plus months of detox. So mm. that was a pretty hellacious year. And at that time, leading up to that, I didn't get to choose what I struggled for, right? Getting out of bed, getting off the couch, avoiding withdrawals because I was at a point in my life where if I woke up and didn't immediately reach for the drugs – 
I was going to spend my morning going through withdrawal. That That's just the way that my body was working at the time. Those were my struggles. Those are pretty terrible struggles. And I mm-hmm. didn't get to choose that for myself. That was the way that my life had gone. Now, I'm 11, almost 11 years in recovery. I get to choose what I struggle for. And, and you're, you're hearing it. You're seeing it. This, yeah. is, this is my struggle. What, what's your anniversary date? I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, so I don't have uh, – I, I have an anniversary a month because uh, – so sort of big picture because this could get really nitty-gritty. But I am not sober. I am in recovery. I'm not sober. Uh, thankfully, I never struggled with alcohol. And um, at the time that I got into recovery – and again, my story is super convoluted. I didn't identify as being in recovery for that first – you know, whatever period, uh, I identified because I've been told for a long time that I was, I was severely mentally ill. That's what I've been told for a long time. And, uh, I get off the medication and it wasn't like I was doing this through AA where people were telling me, Hey man, remember this date? This isn't, you know, whatever Hmm. I was doing this completely alone. So that was March of 2010. So I celebrate that as my recovery anniversary is that month. Um, I, I don't know the date. It was sometime late March. That's the, that's the best I can do. Perfect. And I'm really interested. You say substance misuse, not abuse. What right. is the difference there? So that's a great question. Thank you for asking me that. I was going to bring that up later so we can, we can cut right to it now. Yeah. Um, so substance misuse is the way that a lot of us are going with that verbiage. And, and the reason is substance abuse is a word that has a lot of, of connotation, the word abuse, right? When you think of abuse, it's a pretty horrible act. Usually if they were, if, if they're using the word abuse, something horrible is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Substance misuse is much more to the point, which is that you are misusing a substance. And the, con- the, the, the added bonus to that phrase is that it implies that there is a, a safe use of that substance. So for those people like me who truly believe that drugs can be used safely and that drugs have gotten a bad rap for a long time in this in the United States, using the word substance misuse says, number one, what I was doing was was wrong. I was misusing it, but it wasn't the drugs' fault. Heroin, I was never on heroin, but heroin can occasionally be used safely. So can a lot of things. There are ways to misuse misuse a lot of things. There are also ways to use them safely. So mm. um, that's that's sort of the, the break, and you're seeing a lot more people using substance misuse as a, a, a way of trying to get away from the word abuse. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like um, I've I've heard lang- the language change and things like uh, it's it's people experiencing homelessness, not a homeless person. Like you put the struggle after right. the human side of it, right? Um, or so somebody really, struggling with addiction instead of an yeah. addict. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And it's just like a little bit more human way of approaching the conversation. That's right. So one thing I'm really interested in then. Um, cause we, I'm really interested in this idea of sedation or over sedation. That seems to be a common problem, um, with a lot of young men right now, studies are coming out, you know, how the school system is over sedating young boys who are hyper and ADHD. And I know that misdiagnosis is part of your journey. Um, 
So why don't you talk a little bit about sedation, over sedation, and just misdiagnosis in general? I know that's that's kind of a huge topic, but I'm interested. It's one that I've talked a lot about. Um, I will say right off the bat, you know, I I have my own experience, and I have now done about five years of research into this. Somebody joked with me not long ago uh, that if I had just done all this work through a university, I would have my my doctorate by now. But uh, I do this this work because it's fascinating to me, right? Uh, I went back and got my degree in psychology as as a way of trying to understand what was done to me, and and, and obviously I didn't figure that out, so I'm still searching. Um, but but go read this article, really fascinating article called uh, the I think it's the drugging of the American boy. I believe that's the title, um, and it's all about this, and it's really interesting. Essentially, what happened was in I was born in 1986. I'm 34 years old. Uh, when I turned one year old, 1987, uh, there were roughly 350,000 kids in the U.S. that were treated for ADHD. By the time I was diagnosed in 1997 as an 11-year-old, uh, that number had blossomed to 2 million in, in a decade. Um, and that's unheard of, right? This is uh, – we look at that in the criminal justice system in the United States. It's the, almost the same numbers, like almost literally – there were, you know, roughly 350,000 people in jail in the 80s. By the late 90s, there's 2 million people in jail. Mm -hmm. And we rightfully look at that and go, well, that's kind of screwed up. Yet, we're not looking at that with the same way as, as a culture when it comes to the over-medication of mostly young men, but also young women. Um, and, and that's what was happening. And people I, – I gave this speech once because I used this data a lot. And mm -hmm. someone said to me, oh, but that, that doesn't happen anymore – and I said, I'm really sorry to burst your bubble. It's four and a half million now. So it's still mm -hmm. happening. And, and the, the fact is, it's easier to drug kids who are hyper. And, and quite frankly, some people do need these. I mean, these weren't brought out of nowhere. There is a small group of people who truly benefit from these drugs. But it's easier to, to, to make that pull wider and make kids stay in their seats and, and go through an antiquated and quite frankly out of date uh, education system than it is to change an education system. Yeah. So you have kids like me who I was what in the 50s you would have called a class clown, right? I was always falling out of my chair. I was in detention all the time as a, as a fifth grader. I just wasn't paying attention because I was a fifth grader and I had a lot of energy. Yeah. And instead of, you know, schools adapting to this, uh, they just put me on a lot of medication. And that's like a uh, something I find really, really sad, but also interesting. And it's I'm, I'm sure it's a mix of, you know, well, obviously there's been a rise in pop, like population during that time. But one of the things that really sticks out to me is, is I think of it the same way as how when parents, instead of parenting, they just give their kid an iPhone or an iPad, right? Like, okay, this kid wants to go do something, he wants to exert energy, but we'll just give him an iPad and then that just is another way to not fix the problem and you're causing like instant instant gratification problems, obviously, right. and and we blame technology on a lot of these issues when I'm like, I think it's the parents' fault, to be honest. Like, And, yeah. and it's wild. It's so funny you say that because uh, I had this conversation not long ago where someone was talking about the, the technology piece. And I said, look, 
I don't have kids. I am not in any way licensed to tell you you're right, right or wrong about that. What I am willing to say is a lot of the words you're using to talk about your technology are the same words that were used to talk about the drugs when I was going through this as a kid. So uh, it is very similar that you make a really great point. Yeah. And, and it's it, like, I think if, so I was, for context, I was homeschooled until grade nine. So my mom thinks if I was like in the education system growing up, I would have been ADHD most likely or diagnosed in that way because, you know, I'm pretty sporadic. I can't really concentrate on a lot of things. And now I would say that's more of a, a lack of discipline thing than it is like an ADHD thing. But I don't really know. I, I find it really hard to to like focused fully on one thing. And I do think there is an aspect of social media, especially now kids being raised in that environment. Right. But you know, my parents also didn't give us phones and technology on our own until we were like 16 and they never allowed that to be in the house as a way to calm our nerves. And um, being homeschooled, I was allowed to take breaks whenever I wanted, as long as I was outside and like running around, we had a trampoline and I never really felt like never really thought, of those two things or knew it existed um, until later. And then I'm like, why do all these kids? And then another huge problem is that kids that aren't ADHD take Adderall or Ritalin, or I think that's, those are the two drugs. And I know, I know people that took it in university to study and I, and I had it offered to me and I'm like, I will never do that to study. Cause one, I don't need it. And two, if you don't have really far off like attention spans, it's damaging to you. Yeah, I think there's um, – I am sure that at some point we're going to look back as a culture and say, oh, this was to be the first science of X, right? Whether it's evolution, whether it's de-evolution, whatever the case is, there is clearly a shift happening in our own development. And instead of trying to uh, sort of keep up with that, what we're doing is, is saying we can't change these systems, which is false. It just takes a lot of work. So we're going to force people through them and do whatever we have to do to get them to, to get through that. And, and that's both the education system and the work, the way that work is done today, right? I mean, I, I actually sat down with my dad's a CEO and I sat down with him for my podcast uh, not long ago. And I, we were talking about this exact topic in the terms of the workplace and he said that, you know, they went to offering people to work remotely at least part of the time a while back. And he had people in his company going, oh, this isn't going to work. My employees will just be, you know, whatever, taking time off, not doing anything. And he said the opposite was true. He said we couldn't get people to turn off their computers. They were working too hard. So mm -hmm. it's it's this idea that the, the way it worked for me has to work for everyone. And instead of going, everybody is different and we as a culture are changing all the time. Whether it's, yeah. again, evolution or, or take it whatever you will, but things change. Things are constantly in motion. That's the way our world works. And if you don't keep changing with it, you're going to get left behind. And I think we're seeing that as, um, sadly, here in the United States, our education continues to plummet, right? Our rankings in the world in terms of education are worse now than they were when I was a kid. And they weren't great back then either. But it's because we're holding dear to the way things were done in 1900. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, the education system in America always makes me laugh. No offense to, to Americans out there. I'm just like it, it boggles my mind. Like I understand national pride and things like that, but it, I mean, there's also ignorant, blind faith in in the country that you have, right? Like this idea that you can't 
improve. You can't be the best and still improve. Like no one would say New England Patriots wouldn't say, yeah, we played a perfect season. Right. Obviously it's this, it's the same thing with a, with a country and that, that mindset's always boggling. But I also like that you said uh, you had a podcast with your dad. Was it about mental health too? It was. So um, he, on mine, I do a couple different interviews per episode and he was the shorter one. And and so uh, I was home visiting him about almost two months ago now. And I sat down with my microphones and we chatted for for 15 minutes uh, about you know the the uh, mental health of the he of, of trying to make sure people are embraced in the workplace, uh, which is where that topic about remote work came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, about what about his mental health in the workplace? Um, about uh, you know he he runs a company that he would say as a triple bottom line of people pl- place and and planet no that's not it people uh, planet profit thank you that's it i remember there was a third one in there um and and so that they're, they're a chemical manufacturing company that uh quite frankly could make a lot more money every year but they are wanting to make sure their their chemicals are as uh environmental as possible and you know making sure they're not doing a lot of emissions and all this kind of stuff so uh it was really interesting to get that pro- uh, that from him yeah Cool. Yeah, I interviewed my dad just uh, under two months ago too. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's awesome um, for my podcast. It, it's a fun time talking to you, Daddy. Yeah, we we had a good chat. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was really nice. I did that, and I also recorded my grandmother while I was home. Uh, as I said, when my grand or her husband died a year ago, and uh, I wanted to get some family stories on on tape so that you know yeah. we can preserve those. That's beautiful. Um, and. Now I wanted to get into kind of talking about why that problem is is more focused on young men, like young boys, that sedation issue. Because you mentioned that it it does happen with young women, but it's mostly young men. Why do you? Why is that a biological thing or is that a cultural thing? Man, smarter people than me have a good answer for that. I, I can tell you from what I have uh, sort of talked to people about, and that is that men are we are told to hold it in more than women. And and that is incredibly harmful. And we're seeing that, you know, I don't think there is a person alive who would say, oh yeah, men, especially unfortunately white men are doing just fine. Um, We're not, it's, it's not going well. uh, And it's our own damn fault. Uh, But at the same time, people have, you know, drilled it into us. Boys don't cry. Boys got to hold it in and then you go, you know, get in the ring or, or do, you know, sports like that's our outlet. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I was an athlete. Uh, I was a baseball player and a runner. And, um, you know, I wish I was as mentally calm then to, as I am today. I would be a much better baseball player if I knew how to deal with my emotions and I wasn't going up there going, this is my opportunity to let it out every time I swing. Yeah. Um, because for your listeners who can't see this, I'm a very short guy and I was trying to hit home runs cause that's how I got rid of my, uh, my emotions every time I was in the batter's yeah. box. I, but it's, it's, it's a shame. It, it is. And it's really, we're starting to see a change there, but there's still a lot of harmful, uh, tentacles of this idea that grip men all the time. Let me give you an example. I was reading this article sometime early in COVID. It could have been 10 years ago. It could have been yesterday. Who, who knows? And uh, it, it knocked me off my feet. Actually, I want to see if you can guess this. This will be fun. Okay. Not, this article said they'd done a study and 92, 95% somewhere in there of all male friendships revolve around three topics. Can you guess what those topics were? Sex. 
Women was one. Yeah. Women. Yeah. Sports. Sports is two. Money. You're close, kind of. Um. Actually, you're not close. I don't know why I said that. That was I was trying to be nice. Okay. <laughs> um, I was going cars. No, it's uh, it's media. So movies, TV, and if you include music, you've got ninety nine percent. Like that's those mm. top four. And, and I like it. I was sitting in this coffee shop. So again, this was before COVID. And uh, it, I sat back and like took a deep breath because it immediately occurred to me that this was true in my life, right? Uh, I got married a, almost two years ago now. And I was thinking of all the guys that were my groomsmen, including my three brothers who were my, my best men. And I realized that this was how I operated with all of them. And, and it wasn't a conscious choice. I wasn't deciding, oh, I'm not going to tell my closest my male friends in the world about, you know, my struggles. But when I think about the people that I was closest with in terms of sharing the most with, they were all women. And that's because I am more of an emotional guy. Again, this is literally what I do for a living. And it's, I, there's no line between what I do for a living and, and my, my, my wife mm-hmm. knows this because I'm very open with her. We have a very open relationship and, and, I am that guy in in work. I'm that guy at home, but I wasn't with my male friends. And so one by one, I text all of them. I said, all right, new rule. I told them about what I just read. And I said, from now on, we're going to talk about those things because quite frankly, I love my sports teams. Uh, And, and, you know, yes, talking about women is a good time, but we're also going to talk about real things. And so now my friends know if we talk about something that is sports, you know, music, whatever, I'm then going to go, okay, how are you feeling? You know, what's going on with your relationship? What's going, whatever. And it's made a world of difference. And and I, I'm really glad that I read that article for how horrible it made me feel that day. Yep. Yeah. I, I totally relate to that. I mean, luckily I have a guy friend group that we like, we talk our fair amount about our relationships and, and girlfriends and, you know, real life stuff. We don't really keep a lot of it a secret. Some of the guys I've actually, I've actually had on my podcast. So um, that's helped a lot too, but it is interesting that I always say that too. And it, you know, I, I feel much easier going to my girlfriends to open up about things. And that, that makes me think, you know, are my other guy friends like that too? Like, do they also go to their girlfriends to talk about things? Like, why don't we do it together? Why don't we open up a little bit more? Because, you know, is it, you know, is it the guys not making each other feel safe? Is it just the the idea that we might get embarrassed or this is not something that guys talk about? Fortunately, I have a guy, guy group that doesn't care. Um, and we've, we've, we get deep sometimes in like the driveway or the, in the car, like before getting dropped off. So, uh, shout out to those guys. <laughs> That's awesome, man. But it, 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 you are, you are the lucky rare guy who has that. Right. And, you know, I will say, I don't want my, your listeners to think that I snapped my fingers and it was perfect. Right. Some of yeah. my guy friends still struggle with this. And one in particular, uh, he and I are, he's one of my closer friends, but he's just more of a reserved guy anyways. And we share a very deep love for Star Wars. This is like a huge thing in both of our lives. Um, and it's what we talk about a lot of the time. But he knows after three or four or five straight, you know, back and forth about whatever we're reading, what, you know, I'm going to go and how's your wife? How's work going? You know, talk to me about that. And it's harder for it, but he's gotten way better at it with me. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know, again, if it was just 
he didn't feel comfortable doing that with me before or or if he just this was foreign to him to talk about you know how things deeper were going on with him but but he's gotten to a point now where he is not nearly as hesitant to let me mm-hmm. in 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 conversations yeah and that, that's a beautiful thing i think some people are work in progress because it's they come from a family that doesn't talk about that kind of thing and then there's others that you know i'm pretty open i've, I've always been pretty open um it was less. It was always harder for me when I was younger because there was less people that seemed to be open, and I felt like ahead of a lot of them. And when I was in university, I'm like, man, all these guys are so shallow. Like they they only talk about sports and women and and not and like when I say women, it's just like you know I I slept at this woman's place and we after the bar and it was good time. Um, not like oh yeah, how's your relationship with your girlfriend? Yeah. As as you like, there's different kinds of talking about women, right? As um, as our president would say, locker room talk. Yes, and which is uh, probably part of that. Whenever I hate that term, I do like, too. <laughs> like locker room talk, for the most part, what that I experienced wasn't that bad. But I was also part of locker. What you know exactly what they're talking about when they say locker room talk, right? Yeah. Like, and and that goes, you know, those are the types of toxic things that spread to. Um, I mean, it's not just sports. If you think about the cop system or the police system, it's, it's the same thing there. Like every lawyers, finance, like a lot of the yeah. workplace. It, I don't know why we just subjugate it to to sports when it's just basically any community of men. <laughs> it's it's bros, and, and and I think that there's a lot. It, it takes me back to look I, again. I'm 34, and you know I grew up a huge hip hop fan and, and hardcore rap. And there was a saying in rap back in the 90s and early 2000s that then became popular, went everywhere, and it was no homo, which is a yeah. really horrible thing when you think about it. That men. It would rather be homophobic than than appear even for a second to be vulnerable. Like that's what mm. that expression means: is that you say "I love you, man," and then immediately followed up with something as hateful as "no homo." You're saying I was so afraid of appearing vulnerable to you, someone I care about, even for a second, that I'd rather be homophobic and hateful to follow yeah. that up. That's a horrible thing when you think about it. I remember in high school you'd you'd hug a guy friend and and uh, and then you say like no homo though yeah yeah this is true it was it was bad that, I didn't know that that's where it populated from yeah it, it started in rap in the in the late nineties uh, I can vividly remember Little Wayne on one of his songs saying dropping that um, and, and this was probably early two thousand so. Yeah, it, it got big there and then sort of, as most things do, you know, get popular in the black community and then white people steal it and, and yep. it becomes, you know, a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely relatable there. Um, but I think that's a perfect segue into talking about why, you know, we, men struggle to talk about suicide, which is a topic I really wanted to talk about with you. Um, because I remember a time when, you know, it was maybe a, a darker time with some of my my some people in my life and no one wanted to directly ask the question, are you feeling suicidal? And I mean, that is a hard question to ask of anyone, but it's especially hard when it's someone really close to you. And especially hard when you're a guy asking it to another guy, like, why do you think that is? Where do you think that comes from? Well, there's, so there's two answers to that. Number one, we have been taught erroneously for a long time that if you talk about suicide, more people will commit suicide. 
Here's the sad thing. First off, that's completely false. In fact, there's a lot of data that shows that's very false. The sad thing is that there's a kernel of truth in there. And that kernel of truth is the more the media reports on a method of suicide, the more you see copycats. And so they took this truth, right? A famous person commits suicide, you know, especially if it's something uh, that has been glorified in some way. And then all of a sudden you see a rash of copycats of people doing it. And they took that kernel of truth and they extrapolated from it. Oh, if we talk about suicide, more people will commit suicide, which is false and harmful and keeps people from talking about suicide. So that's number one. And, and I, can't, I can't dispel that myth enough. There is so much data that shows that that is not true. Mm. Don't hesitate to talk about suicide because you think more people will do it. However, if you see a person in your life who happens to work in the media really getting into gory details about how this person took their own life, let them know how incredibly harmful that is. And by the way, there's nothing that needs – like that doesn't need to be reported. What needs to be reported is this person's suffering. How they did it is just clickbait. And, and let's call that out. It is just clickbait. So that's number yeah. one. Number two, vulnerability is hard. For anyone, it's hard. I, I love my wife dearly. We've been married for almost two years. We've been dating now for over four or we've been together for over four I still at times struggle to tell her, you know, this is the closest person to me in my life. And I still struggle at times to tell her some of these deeper feelings because vulnerability is hard. And if you are, are talking to someone, as we just discussed, men are taught to hold this in. And you add on top of that, the male relationship has not been built for this because we've just never done it before. Asking someone the most vulnerable to, to be the most vulnerable they've ever been is really hard. And, and unfortunately there's no secret there that the, the secret way to get someone to talk about how they're feeling is unfortunately just to get someone to talk about how they're feeling. There's no trick. The only thing that helps, as I say on my podcast all the time, vulnerability begets vulnerability and empathy begets empathy. And what that means is, and I've done this, I've had to use this, you know, if I'm interviewing someone and they're just a wall, the way you get someone to open up is not to keep pressing it because they're just going to keep retreating. The way you get someone to open up is you open up. If mm -hmm. you tell someone, let's say you're talking to someone that you actually do think is, God forbid, considering taking their own life. The way to do it is to First off, ask them how they're feeling. They're probably going to tell you they're feeling just fine. That's that's the, what, what we do. If you truly are concerned, don't follow that up with, oh, no, dude, I think, you know, I think you're lying to me or, or whatever, some BS. Tell them, hey, man, uh, you know, if you don't mind, I'm kind of struggling. Would you mind listening? Or can I tell you about what's going on in my life, right? Start talking to them. In, in a way that lets them know, oh, oh, this person gets it, right? This person understands. And it can be whatever. It can be, look, my wife and I are really fighting lately and this is what's happening. Or, God, you know, I'm really still beat up because my grandfather died a year ago and I still am having grief sometimes, which is very normal. Everybody grieves differently. These are things that, that tells that person it's safe. This is a safe place for me to share. Once you do that, and then say, all right, you know, so how are you feeling? What's going on with you? And then if they admit, 
you know, yeah, I've been kind of down. It is 100% okay to say, have you ever thought about taking your life? Have you ever thought about suicide? Um, don't be afraid. Put it out there. And obviously, we all want to cross our fingers and hope the person goes, oh, man, hell no. I'd never do that, right? That's the best answer you can get in the world. But if they say, yeah, you know, I've, I've thought about it or, or I've had those, those ideas, your follow-up is, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you, do you have a plan? Is there a method that you've considered? And again, hopefully the person says, no, I've just, you know, I've been down and it's popped into my head. But if they say yes, this is the next, these, these are the steps, right? So if mm-hmm. they say yes, you know, I've considered uh, hanging myself. I, 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 I was going to shoot myself. You know, you say, well, you know, I, I, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you, do you have the gun? Do you have a rope? And you keep trying to give them a chance to tell you that they're not there yet. And if they keep saying, yep, you know, I've got the, I've got the rope. In fact, I've, I've thought about doing it next Tuesday or something like that. That's when you know, oh, this shit's real. I need yeah. to step in. Yeah. No, it, it's very true. Like I took very minimal um, it's called Safe Talk up here in Canada for one of my one of my past roles. And um I wasn't able like I I wasn't trained to talk someone fully down, but I was trained to probe for those questions of like, you know, do you have a plan in place? Because very rarely is suicide actually like instinctual where it's it's just you have a feeling that you do it, right? Like there's typically a method to the madness. Um and it, it I have had to ask three or four people, I guess, in my life about if they're suicidal and it doesn't get easier. It's one thing where it, it does not get easier. It's like, but it's, you know what? I always tell people if there's this instinct on your heart and it's like pounding out of your chest, that means you have to do it. It doesn't matter. Like it's, that's, that means it's, it's a growth to, to, to like growth time, baby. Go in, go ask it, ask that hard question. Cause if you don't and something happens. hundred percent. On you for the rest of your life. Yep. Yeah. And by the way, that never you, that never goes away. And both of those things you just said, the 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 fear in that moment of asking someone you care about that question, you'll feel that every time. And if you don't, and something God forbid happens, and I'm, luckily I've never been in that situation, you will never forgive yourself. Right. It, it's just there is so much research on this, and and this is from someone who I stopped a suicide. And it was the worst night of my life and it still sits with me and it's 10 plus years later, right? Mm-hmm. It is one of the hardest things you can do. And that might be surprising to some of your listeners to hear, oh my God, he saved a life. No, it's not like that. It's not like, you know, diving in front of a bullet or something like that you've seen on TV. Sitting there in that moment of such raw hurt is a thing you don't get over. It's, it is incredibly challenging and, um, you know, it, it's, it's a thing that it's not like I sit there and go, I'm so glad I did that. There's a person alive today. If it that wouldn't be, if it wasn't for me, it's instead what sits with you is I can't imagine, I, I unfortunately can, but for most people, I can't imagine being where that person was. And, yeah. you know, because I myself had six months before this had attempted it twice. Like I knew, I knew where they were at that moment, but it, it, it doesn't make it easier. No. And and that's one thing that I find really interesting. Cause I've never, I've never really had those thoughts or, or mental health. You know, I've, I've had that kind of 
moment or flash before my eyes is where it's like, oh, if I was to go, I'd jump in front of a bus, but never been like super serious about actually going down that path or having a reasoning of why I do it or wanting to actually end my life. It's just like a thought that pops in and then it pops right back out. And I think I think I think that's normal. I don't know. I don't know for anyone else out there that's listening. Tell me or not if that's normal. Um, but you know, I have friends who are on the mental health and I do worry about them sometimes. And but they they typically, hopefully, um, if they've been through therapy, they know that that structure, how to t- how to talk themselves down at that point. Um, and it is still a huge fear. I, I There's nights that I won't ever leave my mind, even though nothing happened. There was huge warning signs that something was going to happen. And those are nights that stay in my mind forever, even though nothing happened, even though I'm fortunate to, to still have those friends with me today. Um, they, even those moments don't really leave your mind. And, and it's hard to even talk about that sometimes as a guy, even though you don't go through that, you it's hard to process the fact that someone else might take their life. Yeah. Look, <clears throat> it is, it is quite process. So, so my attempts, right. I, um, <laughs> it's like, I am so sorry <laughs> for it now that I like, it's almost absurd to me, but I did it two nights in a row. I poured out what I thought would be a lethal dosage of the drugs that I was, uh, you know, addicted to on my computer. And then I called a friend to tell her what I was going to do. This was one of my closest friends in the world at the time. She texted a couple of friends of mine who rushed over to stop me. And the next night, learning from my mistakes the night before, I took the pills and then I called the same friend. <laughs> and to put her through this two nights in a row... I we're we're like still friendly. She doesn't live anywhere close to me and we talk on occasion, but ever there will be times where I will just text her the words thank you. And at this point she knows, right? She knows what's going on. It means that I'm feeling horrible that I did this to her. And at, it, we've talked about trying to get, you know, a time where we can sit down and chat for the podcast and we that is a thing we would love to do when when the world reopens uh is to kind of walk through this together, you know, but I can never say thank you enough to her that is one comes anywhere close to, to being enough. But number two can take away the hurt that I did that night. So I, I understand the reluctance because that person is in a place where if they are truly considering doing this, they are in a place of such sheer hopelessness that uh, it is hard to see anything like you're in such a deep hole that you aren't seeing the top anymore. You're so far down that all you see around you is, is the sides of the hole. Uh, mm-hmm. So I get it. The fear and, and of, of reaching out because there is something of a there by the grace of God, go I feeling uh, that is hard to break. Right. If, if you look down into that hole and you see that that person's no different from you, that's a scary feeling. Um, but at the same time, as we say in this, in this business, and this is why I always tell people to reach out, you know, there is somebody in your life who will jump into that hole with you. I guarantee you. Um, and if you truly don't believe that there's anyone in your life, I say this anytime I get interviewed, call me, you can find my information on my website. 
uh, if you truly need someone to talk to, I'm here. And I say that because we have a saying in this industry, and that is we'd rather spend two hours talking to you today than two hours at, hours at your funeral tomorrow. So mm. reach out. I guarantee you the people in your life feel that way. No matter how much hurt you know is going on there, you, I, I can promise you with 100% certainty, the people in your life who care about you feel the exact same way. Yeah, no, it's it's really true. And I've been on this journey for myself as well to understand how to talk to people that are going through mental health issues and or have mental illness. And um, one of the things that they talk about a lot is, you know, I man, one of the things that pisses me off so much is whenever I see things on Instagram talking about how to handle your anxiety and there's like basic things like, oh, if you if you hit your snooze alarm twice, you're probably have anxiety or like just these like really broad scope, just like no information ideas. And they're like, and so people get these ideas from these graphics on Instagram that they have anxiety or depression. And I'm like, this is a really dangerous way to go. And I always send these to my friends with actual diagnosed mental health illnesses and they say i hate these posts like they have no idea what it's like this is not what depression looks like and i understand it looks different for everyone but that's really not what it looks like and and i i think we had that kind of initial conversation but you know self-diagnosis right now seems to be a huge problem where people aren't going to doctors or you know psychiatrists and therapists to get diagnosed what have what have you seen of that in in the industry and in the world right now Oh, man, we could talk about this for a long time. Um, so there's sort of two ways to go with this. Number one, we need more mental health care in the U.S., right? Um, I just wrote something about this uh, the other day because there was a young man in Philadelphia who was murdered by the cops uh, while going through a, psych a mental health moment of, of struggle. Um the police have been to his house four times that day because that's our, our system here in the United States. And then they shot him dead in front of his family. Wow. And um, I, I was writing about this because when you see in, in the United States, when you see these mass shootings uh, or, or horrible uh, situations, the first thing that people say is, oh, it's, it's not a gun issue. It's a mental health issue. And then yet they don't do anything about men, you know, mental health, right? It mm -hmm. is mental health is the always a bridesmaid that tips over the, the cake and gets wasted at the, at the reception, never the bride. It, it's, mm -hmm. the, it's what everyone blames, but it never gets, you know, so it never gets the help it needs. So in one sense, self-diagnosis makes sense because a lot of people can't go see mental health professionals. So mm -hmm. that's one side. On the other side, the proliferation of information about this without any context has made it so that a lot of people think they have things that, that they don't. Mental health is a spectrum, right? We are getting away from this thinking that if you fall in this bucket, you got this. If you fall in this bucket, like that's not how this shit works. Quite frankly, that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I was reading this fascinating article not long ago about how psychologists are starting to treat people with what used to be called borderline personality disorder the same way as if they have bipolar disorder. Because if you're 99% the same, why would you treat them differently just because they're missing that 1%, which makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And and it, it, it helps you understand that this shit's a spectrum. 
You know, I may be here and you're right here and we're going to have a lot of things in common, but we're also going to have a lot of things very, very different. So mm-hmm. we don't do enough education about this. We, you know, uh, and again, I'm only talking about the U.S. You guys could be living in a mental health utopia. I have no idea. But in the U.S., we have P.E., we're a physical education class where we, we get to go run around and learn how to climb a rope and play baseball. We have health class where if you're lucky, you get to learn about what goes in your body and how it transforms, you know, your energy. And maybe again, if you go to a more progressive school, sex ed, we don't have any mental health training. So there's no training how to spot mm-hmm. anxiety or what to do about anxiety. There's no training on mindfulness. There's no training about depression. There's no training about what to do if you think you may have a serious issue of mental health. There's no training. And so you add all of this together and you get this rash of people deciding, oh, I've got this thing and I'm going to treat it the way that I saw on Instagram, which is by drinking a bottle of wine and calling it self-care. Oh, I hate that. (laughs) My my dad has a pet peeve too of like when in in, um, movies, they always – Always, 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 always show the man's vice as sex or um, alcohol as a running away from facing their problems. I mean, I just like to see a movie once show a a dude journaling. That'd be really nice, like (laughs) as a way to uh, heal or recover. Maybe I I mean, I have a goal and a dream to to screenwrite a movie about this kind of thing, masculinity in the future. So maybe I'll uh, I'll include that in there. But I. I hate that. And when, you know, I, I use that same approach in university. If, and this was, it was always worried me throughout my university days too, is I would see friends get a really bad mark and then they'd respond by getting plastered that night and getting super wasted. I'm like, I don't know what life you're living right now, but that is not a healthy way to recover. And for me, whenever I drank, it was always, this is something I want to do. It's not because I'm searching for something else or searching for happiness. I don't, I've never drank like that in my entire life. Like I never have, I never plan to, um, you know, celebratory is different than if it's a crutch, the very different ways to approach it. And you're right. We call it self care and self love. And this, I, I want to have a full episode on this in the future of, Self-love is progress, is it, is it admitting to yourself that you're not perfect, is admitting to yourself that you can be better. You know, for me, one of the biggest things that I have in my life is that I'm overweight and I'm, I'm, I'm like not um, as fit as I could be. So as much as people celebrate all these male uh, models that are overweight, I'm like, why are we celebrating something that's unhealthy? As a, as a bigger dude, I there's there's body positivity and then there's delusion. Um, so for me, I would, you know, I, I, I love myself, but loving myself means that I should be, be able to admit to myself that I should do a diet and eat healthier to lose weight. Not that I should stay in this unhealthy body forever. And the, the, we have confused the self-love like generation almost with being like, I'm okay the way I am. No, you alluded to it earlier. Change is the only constant in life. There's nothing wrong with changing. Changing is self-love. It's part of the process a lot of the time. Well, I've never seen you in person, but I think you're a very beautiful man. And, and, uh, you know, Thank it, you. It, it, the, I just got a haircut. Hair, yeah. Well, the hair's working for you. That's, that's, you know, really, it's really going <laughs> well. Uh, I'm also uh, overweight. And I think that, you know, there is some, portion of both of the things you were saying like number one i as i like to joke 
I work out five days a week to look like this. So <laughs> <laughs> like there, there is a sense of, yes, I could go on some fad diet. I could try to work out harder, I guess. But the point is, I do all that to look this way. You know what I mean? I can't imagine what I would look like if I didn't. And so there, there is a, a finding a, a happy median there yes. in the middle. Yeah. And I mean, a hundred percent like self-love important, love yourself, but love yourself to the point where you're healthy and, and, in every way, whether that's mental health, physical health, you know, that is a process that is a part of self-love, not drinking to, to avoid the pain as a vice. Um, so yeah, yeah that's I, a, I wanted that's, to add my two cents there. No, that's a really important, that last piece is really important that, that you know, mindfulness is a thing that we have come to associate almost one-to-one with meditation. And, and it's like the, you know, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but all, is it all squares or rectangles and all, not all rectangles or squares, whatever the uh, case all, is. All squares are rectangles, not all rectangles are squares. Right. So meditation is a form of mindfulness. Not all mindfulness is meditation. And so mm. journaling is a great one, as you mentioned, but, but a big piece of mindfulness is simply an awareness, right? And if you are constantly drinking and you're telling yourself, oh, I'm celebrating or I am, I, you know, I do this because X, Y, and Z, whatever. And in reality, that little voice in the back of your head is going, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. That being aware of that and saying to that little voice, fuck it, you're right. That's mindfulness. Being, co- being conscious is your mindfulness. So there are ways to practice it. And that's what people do when they are meditating is getting in touch with that honesty, with that consciousness. So yes, if you're lying to yourself every night about why you're drinking, you may have a problem. You may also just need to take a step back and go, all right, let's do some self-reflection here. Why am I really doing this? Yeah. And I always tried to question my friends without calling them alcoholics to their face uh, in university when they did that. Um, but one of the last topics I wanted to talk to you about was popularization versus normalization of mental health. This is something that I've come to terms with or, or thought about recently. Maybe in the last month, I've kind of had this question in my head. But I feel like we are, we are popularizing mental health to an unhealthy degree, which is why we have people self-diagnosing. We have people wanting to be wanting to have a mental health so they can relate to more people or seem cool. It seems like a, an in thing right now to, to be that. And normalization would just say, yeah, we have this in, in society. It's a problem. We need to address it as you were talking about. Do you see that as an issue? Like, do you, do you understand where I'm going with that question? Like what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because there is a sense of where, where is the line between somebody actually thinking damn, I think I have, you know, maybe struggling with this thing or I don't know, all their friends have, it. you know, it's like, uh, you know, when I was a kid, all of my friends were switching from glasses to contacts and I had to switch from glasses to contacts, even though for the first six months of having contacts, my mother had to put them in for me because I couldn't touch my own eye. So there is a sense there where it's like, all right, do you really want this? Or are you just trying to fit in? And, and fitting in is never a good thing. Take it from a guy who stands the hell out everywhere I go. Uh, I, and, and I do. I'm that guy who walks around going, this is me. I don't really give up, you know. Um, but but there is something to be said about the normalization piece. That's super important. And, and that's what I try to do with my speaking, with my podcast. 
we need to get rid of the stigma around this. And if that means, unfortunately, going through a bit of an overcorrection, there's a problem. Don't get me wrong, but which is worse, you know? And Mm. and right now, we're still in a lot of places just not talking about mental health, not talking about about substance misuse. Uh, Drug use has been like this forever, right? You don't tell your kids about drugs and never going to use drugs, which is we prove that not to be true with sex. Right. Yeah. You don't tell them about sex. They're not going to have sex. No, you don't tell them about sex. They're still going to have it. They're going to do it in a stupid way. It's the same thing with drugs. And uh, we just have to normalize talking about these things so things happen safer. And that the the popularization piece I see is an overcorrection. You know, for a long time, we didn't talk about these things. Now we are. And it's a little we've swung too far in the opposite direction. But if we start having these honest conversations and we make it, you know, okay, this is literally what it means to struggle with depression, maybe some of these people who say I struggle with depression will realize, oh, I don't have that. And I have empathy for those people that do. Mm. I, I think that's that there's a piece of it too, because overcorrection is obviously bound to happen. Um, it's, it's, I, I think they're both dangerous, but you're right in that I think it will it will correct at some point. I just look at it and I'm like, if you haven't gotten a diagnosis from a, a trained professional, I really have no interest in hearing what you're – I'll be empathetic to what you're talking about, but I won't agree that you have a mental health issue or a mental illness until you go to the doctor because I'm not going to perpetuate that popularization or um, I'll normalize it to the fact that, yeah, you should go see a therapy therapist and, and get that that, I guess, initial idea. But like, don't come to me saying, yes, you are mentally sick. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't do that like internally in my heart, you know? So there's a um, – do you ever watch the show Scrubs? I did not, but I know the name. So big fan. And the song. I know no Scrubs. <laughs> also a great, great song. There's an episode on that show where um, a great Canadian, actually, Michael J. Fox, comes yes. on – wonderful Canadian – uh, comes on the show and and they use the fact that he's suffering it's Parkinson's, right? Isn't that what? what yeah, that, yeah, the one that was shaken. Yeah, so they use that and they play into it. And he talks about in the show he has OCD and and they actually do it pretty well, which is a, a thing to say because a lot of times OCD is played up. It's just like again, as a guy with OCD, the way they do it in a lot of movies and TV is pretty horrible. They did it pretty well in Scrubs, but there's a moment where he's talking to someone and he's doing all his stuff. And then the guy goes, you know, kind of, what are you, what are you doing? And he goes, Oh, you know, I've got OCD. This is what it, it means. He goes, Oh, my grandfather suffered from that. He used to beat us every night with a sack of nickels. And then he looks at him and goes, OCD, right? And Michael J. Fox is like, no, no, that's not, that's not OCD. And so I think that there is a, a piece of that where it's like, things are done in the name of, Oh, I've got mental health issues. And it's like, but, but do you, or are you just an asshole, you know? And, yep. and, and there's definitely a piece of that. Although I would also say that, that being an asshole may be in itself a mental health issue. You know, I, I love that you said that. Cause I've, I've had conversations with people where they duck out of things that they are, they should be accountable for and they should be um, adults enough to, to overcome. I'm like your mental health issues or whatever doesn't give you the, the, the power to abuse that reasoning about why you're affecting someone else's mental health because you you're just shying away from a conversation you know conflict or having real conversations is not 
a reason is not a mental health thing that that you should be able to control it enough to be an adult to have that conversation in the first place well or if you can't you know tell the person why and then and then just you know have them reach out to me and they we can have that conversation instead yeah that that's great um and i i liked what you said there too about um being like on the show OCD because I'm thinking now about a, a TikTok I watched where this girl is like, "This is what having anxiety looks actually looks like," and she's just sitting there. Yeah, she's just sitting there, and she's like in the movies. They make it play it up to like, "Oh, this guy with anxiety or ADHD is like literally moving the entire time, fiddling with everything." Um, what What are your thoughts about the media portrayal of mental health? Well, so I think, it, it, you know, there's a wide spectrum. There's a lot of people that have done it really well. And you see all these lists of places that have, you know, really expertly captured uh, mental health and, and substance misuse. Um, and then there's also a lot of places that, that don't do it well. And, and I actually, um, I'm, I'm that asshole that reaches out uh, to places that I do like, right? If it's something I don't care about, if Marvel wasn't a dick about mental health, I, I, whatever. But if if I like a podcast, <laughs> if I and I, I've done this a lot, where I really like a podcast, and then they say something that's hurtful or you know whatever the case is, I'll reach out and say, "Hey, love the podcast." In fact, as a fellow podcaster, would love to chat sometime. By the way, however, as someone with mental, you know, struggles with mental health, and also with or or substance misuse, whatever the case is, let me tell you how you were off when you said this. And if you ever want to chat, I would love to to, to talk to you and. I've had people respond very kindly, like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I've had people go, you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, my friends, friend, whatever. That's fine. You know, do you know, do your thing. Uh, I've also done that for work. Uh, I had someone reach out and say, uh, would you mind advising on this? And I said, would love to. So, um, you know, it, it's it's uh, a conversation that I try to approach as, look, I'll be quite frank. I know a thousand times more about this than you do. I don't think you meant to be harmful. I would love to chat about how you can do better in the, in the future. And and when people respond kindly, it's usually wonderful. Mm -hmm. So before you go, what is one thing that you'd want to leave men with when discussing mental health for themselves and others? Yeah. So number one, as I've said now a couple of times, but it, 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 I can't say it enough. And it's number, it, just reach out. You know, there are people in your life who care if you are struggling. Um, the age of struggling in silence, as, as I like to say, is over because we've decided that it's over. Uh, there is somebody in your life who would love to listen. So, so number one, reach out. Uh, also, you'll be surprised uh, if you go, no, none of my guy friends. You will be surprised. There are people who are secretly very into this and just don't feel comfortable. Maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to you about it. You know, um, there's a guy, a guy that I've, I've been working with as, as a coach one-on-one -on -one, and he's the type of, you know, he loves Joe Rogan and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I would not think, I thought it was going to be pulling teeth with this guy. And the minute we get into our sessions, it's, it's like night and day. Um, and just because he doesn't feel that he has the people in his life to, to do that work with. And so mm -hmm. that's, you know, where I come in, but, um, I guarantee you there is someone in your life who would be love, would love to get real with you. If it takes them a, a, you know, a drink to open up. Okay. Not the healthiest thing, but if that's how it gets done, that's how it gets done. Uh, yeah. so, so, you know, reach out to somebody. Um, but also going back to my original point, because I, I, I think it's, it's so important 
empathy begets empathy and vulnerability begets vulnerability. If you want someone to be there for you, chances are you got to take the first step. Tell them, reach out, tell them, hey, man, you know, this has happened in my life. Do you have any, any, you know, do you, you mind just listening? Can we, can we just chat? Uh, and I guarantee you, maybe not that day, but very soon after, someone's going to reach out to you and, and that person and go, hey, do you got a second? Um, because they're going to know that you're a person they can do that with. Yeah. No, and I think that's a beautiful, beautiful message. And it's the same way of like, you know, just know that it, it allows them to know that the this, this space is safe. And, um, you know, I believe that that's how I've done some of the, the conversations on my show is, you know, I'm, I'm happily opening up about masculinity and manhood in myself and, and sharing the vulnerable pieces of me, which allows other people and the people I talk to, to connect with me. And, and we have conversations about that. So I can say in, in theory and in practice that that one works. Um, but Jay, where can people find you? What do you have going on in your life? And how can I promote you for the next minute or two? Uh, well, thanks, man. This was this was fun. Um, not always easy, but fun. I yeah. I am wrapping my first season of the podcast right now. It's uh, the last episode will drop the first week of December. I will then take a very much needed month off from the podcast, and uh, season two will start in January. Uh, you can find it anywhere you get your podcast. Choose your struggle is the name. Um, and you know, I look if you think you've got a story. If you know someone that you think I should talk to, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me at my website, jayshiffman.com, which is J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com. And all your social medias are jayshiffman or choose your struggle. I'm, I'm the same everywhere. Perfect. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining me on the Imperfect Pod. Imperfect listeners, I hope you got a lot to take away from it. Mental health is something that I, I don't think you can talk about enough. And it's something that I haven't really touched on on a full episode. So that's why I really wanted to do it here with Jay um, today. So Jay, thank you so much. Luke, it was it was great, uh, great being here. And uh, to all your listeners, keep listening to this show because anyone willing to have conversations about these topics is a good one in my book. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of The Imperfect Pod. If you would like to find out more about today's guest, you can connect with him on Facebook at Choose Your Struggle, on Instagram at Jay Schiffman, on LinkedIn at Jay Schiffman, and website jayshiffman.com. As always, links in the description below. If you enjoyed the episode, it would mean the world to me if you press the follow button, subscribe button, or left a review and donated to Gautam's Movember fundraiser. If you would like to discuss today's topic, please feel free to message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod or connect with me on LinkedIn at Luke West or email uh, Luke at TheImperfectPod.com to continue the conversation. Also, we do have another episode coming out Friday um, and it's going to be a, kind of a continuation or another episode about mental health because I thought, you know, November and these are really important conversations to have. That one's a little bit less totally focused on mental health but the guest is the founder of a mental health app um, which is doing amazing work in uh in this time so check that out and and i'll see you on friday Y'all know that I love CBD and almost since day one of this podcast I've been lucky enough to be sponsored by Mountain Maid. And while my wife and I swear by their full spectrum CBD chewables, sometimes at the end of the day I need just a little bit more to help me relax. So when my wife is joining me, I pull out a Mountain Maid puff and those are awesome. But when it's just me, I, they're just a little bit more than what I'm looking for. So what do I do? 
I throw a couple of hits from Boston Hempire into my bowl, and it's the perfect way to end the day. Boston Hempire has the finest loose leaf CBD flower and some pretty cool edibles too. So when I add it to everything I'm using from Mountain Mabe, it is the perfect complement. If you check out Boston Hempire using the link in my show notes or my podcast website, you will be helping out the podcast as well as getting some of the finest CBD flower on the market. So check it out today. Mm-hmm.